welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Hey, superstars, welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today, I am joined by author and macroaggressions podcaster, Charlie Robinson. I've been a huge fan of Charlie Robinson for quite a while now and was so tickled when he agreed to come on the podcast before We dive into today's super, very wonderful episode. I'm reminding you to click that subscribe button to like, to share, to comment. Also inviting you to sign up for my newsletter at dannycats.com, which is the best way to ensure that we stay in touch, that you stay apprised of all of my wonderful offerings. 
Um, this episode, like all of my episodes, is divided into two parts. The first half is free on all of the audio podcast platforms, as well as on Locals and Odyssey. The second half is available for my paying supporters on Locals and on Patreon, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half conversations. For as little as $10 a month, you get access to all of my second half conversations, plus access to my Deep Truth Scorched Earth podcast that I do with the lovely Miss Emily Moyer. So choose whatever platform feels most aligned for you, whichever tier feels most aligned for you so that you can hear everything or hear of as much of what I'm offering as you're wanting to take in. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy my conversation with Charlie Robinson. Hi. Hi. It's Thank good you. to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. Thanks for carving out the time in your busy schedule. We're going to um, rock it. Yes, we're totally going to rock it. And I didn't realize that you were writing with Jeff Berwick. Is he, he's the dollar vigilante? Yeah, well, we already wrote a book together called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Okay, I'm still making my way through the octopus of global control. So that'll be this next. Is, this, is no, this is book number two. And then there's a third that I, I wrote while... While waiting for Jeff to do all the stuff that I needed Jeff to do for the second book, I wrote the third book. <laughs> so, you know. Well, was, in my spare time, I just I was in, <laughs> I was inspired. Um no, I had a lot I wanted to say for the for the book with Berwick that uh that was more social commentary and less like governmental. And so I said this is going to be its own separate book. So I got that just about almost about 80% done while I was waiting for the second book to get finished up. So I didn't, I didn't mean it to be that way, but, but when you're working with Jeff, you, you, you take as much, you take Jeff when you can get him because he is extremely busy. So, and he's such a nice guy too. I really like him a lot. So. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm going to record the intro after so that I can take okay. advantage of as much time as we have together. Right as possible. Cool. Um, I've been such a fan of your podcast for a while, and I had no idea that we have a similar background. So I kind of want to start it, start it like further back. Were you born in Los Angeles? I, I was born in Pomona, close, okay. um, but I grew up in Palm Springs. Oh. Grew up in Palm Springs, boarding school for high school in Claremont, which is kind of like Ontario airport-ish area. Yep. College at USC, 10 years in the South Bay, 10 years in Vegas. Such odd places. <laughs> and where are you located? Are you in Colorado now? Denver. And now I'm in Denver. My wife's family's from here. So, so we left. We, le uh, we left California um, when my daughter was like four because okay. it was like, California, you got to have all your shots. But when you enter kindergarten and we were like, mm, I don't think this is going to work for us. Like we had a good doctor that was like, I'll write you a, I'll write you a note, you know, I'll, I'll make it look like it. And we're like, cool, cool. But then that doctor retired. 
and she was like, oh, I'm retiring. I'm like, mm, there goes our, our connection. So we wound up just moving to Denver and just completely starting over out here. And that's when, that's actually when the writing and the podcasting and all that started for me was when we made that move in 2015. So interesting. Cool. I know, I know that um, SB 276 makes that illegal now in California. So doctors can no longer write exemptions for those injections anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she. I don't know that she was going to write an exemption. I think she was going to fake the file. <laughs> oh, God bless her wherever she is, and she will remain forever anonymous. <laughs> she, she remained anonymous forever. I will never tell anybody who she was, but for a short, brief moment, we had a doctor for it. We were like, yeah, we got one. <laughs> so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know that we were at USC at the same time. I was in grad school at USC and that's when I got really turned on to Hunter S. Thompson. And the more I'm reading your book, The Octopus of Global Control, I'm like, Hunter is <laughs> clearly I'm not the only truth teller who was influenced by the great Hunter Thompson. <laughs> oh, no, he's he was um, I I liked I liked his style of of unpredictability. I like that 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 Rolling Stone would send him out to write an article on something and he'd come back with something totally different that made no sense. They'd go, This is even better than what we wanted you to write. Or he'd show up at Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with Johnny Depp uh playing him was one of the greatest characters ever. I mean, he really kind of brought him to life. I um I enjoy psychedelics, of course, and that helps sort of put you in that frame of mind. Um and I despise the authority. You know, I despise the state. I despise the mainstream corporate media. And and he felt the same way. And so, uh, yeah, I, I always I always liked his stuff. <laughs> Did you always despise authority and despise the, the state or was there like a turning point for you? I'll tell you what, where where one of the turning points was, was actually at USC. And this was I got a I, I got a a firsthand look at how there's different tiers of um, justice or priorities or whatever you want to call it. So I was not one of the kids who had, you know, like tuition covered by the parents and everything. I had student loans and government grants and stipends and Pell grants and well, all everything that you could get. I needed all of it. So I would do that and I would in every semester there would be, especially at the beginning of the year, I'd have to go through this process. I'd have to go to one office and then they'd say, oh, you've got almost all your stuff. You got to go to the other office and I go to the other office. And meanwhile, registration started on Monday. Right. And it was back when we were like, you had to, it was like telephone registration. It was really weird. You had to like punch in the number of the class that you wanted and like hit pound and then like you could get it. Well, mon so Monday at 8 a.m., registration opens and every single time I would try to register for my classes, there would be a hold on my account and I would have to go to the financial aid office. I'd go there and they'd give me the runaround. They'd say, oh yeah, you got almost everything, but you got to go to this office. I'd go to that office. They go, oh, we've got this, but you need this other thing. And it would just be, a, it, Wednesday would come. I'd finally get it sorted out. And then I'd pick through whatever classes were left over, like 8 a.m. accounting. You know, and 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 this went on and on and on and on. And it was really frustrating because I was like, I, I know the process. I'm doing it. I feel like I'm doing it right. It wasn't until my senior year that I realized 
I, I said to my room, my roommate, I, it was Monday morning, time to register, time to do all the stuff. And I said to my roommate, I guarantee you when I call, there's going to be a hold on my account. And so we call, he was next to me. I called him, listen, I said, see here, I put on, listen, there's a hold on your account. I said, you know what I'm going to do this time? I'm going to do nothing. I'm not going to any office. I'm not going to the financial aid office. I'm not going to that other office that they always send me to. And I'm not going to that third place where they always send me to. I'm going to do zero. And you watch on Wednesday. I'm telling you right now, that hold will magically be lifted off of my account. And he said, okay, all right, well, we'll see if you're right. Otherwise, I said, well, what's the worst that can happen? I always get to pick through the, the riffraff anyway. So Wednesday came. I said, all right, we're going to do it. I called in. Hold was magically removed. He goes, how did you do that? And I said, I didn't, I didn't do anything. It's just that if you pay the school, if daddy writes the check for the school to them, you get the classes you want. If you're on financial aid, they mysteriously and magically and never miss a beat of putting a hold on your account so that you get what's left over. So you don't get first pick. You don't get to pick the classes that you actually want. You get to pick the classes that are left over. And that was where I remember feeling like there's there's two forms of there's two systems happening simultaneously. There's one for the privileged class, and then there's another system for everybody that's not. And 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 it wasn't, you know, like a like a crime against humanity or anything. I, I don't want to be crystal clear, but, but it was one of those things where I just, I just noticed, I've said, I think this is the scam. I think the scam is that they just don't want you to get good classes if you're on financial aid. And, and, and that was how I proved it. So after that, you know, I mean, after that, I really kind of, uh, I remember w when I graduated from SC, they, they called me and uh, so for some reason they called me, I think they mailed something too, but it was like, Hey, you're now an alumni. We'd like to talk to you about our don donation program. And I said, okay, well, I said, do you guys have like a computer system that you keep track of all this stuff on? And, and they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, okay, well, I want you to put a note in the system. I want you, I want it for everybody after you that logs into my account to see this note. I want you to know that I will never, ever, ever give this school a penny. I will never give you anything ever. Don't ever call me. Don't ever ask me. Don't send me alumni letters. Don't send me fundraising drive letter. Don't send me anything. Okay. I want it. I want that in the in my account and reflected. He's like, okay. And I I and I will be on. I have never gotten a, a piece of mail from USC to this day after that. I just said I don't I don't like that. So so the system that's that that sort of started me down this path of like. Uh, you know, like rage against the machine, uh, you know, rage against the the school system and all of that stuff. And and little did I know it would it would sort of snowball to where it is now, where not only am I against the system, but I'm like the hosting and emceeing the largest anarchist conference in the world. So, <laughs> so you know, I mean, it must be definitely not exactly how uh, I thought my schooling was was going to go or what it was going to prepare me for, but I'll take it. I'm, ha I'm much happier now, so whatever. It's so validating to hear this because when, you know, when, when you and I were emailing and you said, oh, I saw that you got into USC, I had pretty much blocked out. 
my experience at USC. But as you're speaking, like I'm remembering that little office, like you walked in from like where we parked in that garage and it was this little office on the left. And I had a similar experience because when I started grad school there, which was a smaller program and I went to journalism school and they were like, okay, well, we want everyone to know like you're not gonna be able to work while you're doing this program. And I was the same, like I had all the loans and the this and the that and I was like, well, I don't have like the big daddy warbucks behind me. So unless you guys are going to help me out, like I am going to be waiting tables this whole time. And I watched, they gave all the grants and scholarships to the rich kids, to the kids who didn't need it. And the ones who did, didn't get anything. And that's when I started to clue in on like, oh, this is how the system works. Like the rich people get all the help. So they'll give the donations. And I was the same, like, I will never give you guys a penny. Like I, I, I really didn't enjoy the, the kind of administrative experience or like I got a good education, but it, it, it was all, you know, useless by 95 anyway, because then we had the internet and I was like, why did I even learn all of that? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I felt too. I, once I go, was in the, the, the actual business classes. I really enjoyed them. Um, but it was the the two years leading up to that. And it was any time I had to deal with anything related to the administration there. Um, it was the first time I ever got called whitey by a lady at the financial aid office. She said she called me whitey. And I was at the, it was the end of one of these days where I was so like beat down that I didn't have the strength to like go over the counter after her and, and wring her neck. But I, I just kind of was just like, of course you called me Whitey. Of course, this is the way this day is going to end. And I walked out and went back, told all my friends, they're like, this isn't, this isn't going well for you. I left USC after my second year and took a year off and didn't plan on coming back. I was planning on going somewhere else, but then somewhere else was like, oh, well, we could accept your credits, but you know, all these like this, you basically will only get credit for one of the two years that you took. I'm like, what? So I have to go take another year. I'm not doing that. So I went back and finished up. And and so my USC was sort of cut in half. The first two years were just massive frustrations. My 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 final two years also frustrations with regard to dealing with anything administrative. But but once you're once you're talking about the subjects that you want to talk about and you're learning about the things that you actually paid the money to go there to learn about, it then I felt like I really was enjoying listening to people explain to me how the business world works. Because one of the nice things about USC and being in LA is that some of the professors that you get there are not people that are not teachers that like you couldn't hack it in the real world. So you became a teacher. These are people that are massively successful. I remember my finance teacher saying, um, you know, like I teach this class because I really enjoy it. I teach this class because they give me great benefits that, that I should never get. He's like, but I run my own business doing this and this. He's like, I'm a multimillionaire. And uh, if you listen to me with regard to finance, I'll show you how to read the finance papers the right way and what you should really be looking for. And I was like, damn, that guy's got my attention. And he looked like a million bucks too. So, so there were some components of it that I was like, I should learn this. This is something I should, you know, this is something I should pay attention. And, and, so, and then there were other parts where it was like, get me out of here. I want to be into the, in the real world and doing instead of just theoretically kind of learning about this stuff. So, so, you know, I, it's funny now because I focus a lot on, um, on the current state of education and, and I guess I really shouldn't be complaining considering how bad it's deteriorated at, at this point now. I mean, with regard to the universities and their, 
wokeism and, and and all of that nonsense and then the just the the public school system that the kids had gone through um like i just did an episode talking about baltimore the baltimore school district and and and, and kids are graduating from high school graduating from high school with a 0.13 gpa which is which meant that the kid passed three classes in four years this one particular kid had 387 days of unexcused absences over his four years and finished in the class. So what? like, exactly. And they spend the fifth most per student, uh, of any school district in the country at $15,000 per, per kid. So it's like, it could be worse, right? We, we, we could be, we could be going to school. We could be going to a, a public school in Baltimore where 37% of the kids in kindergarten fail. They get, they, how do you get an F in kindergarten? Exactly. What are you doing? I didn't know it was possible. That's crazy. So I, I, I didn't know, like the, the focus on education. I'm just fascinated by like our parallels because it was like USC where I got into psychedelics, where I got into Hunter, where my I allowed my worldview to crumble. And then from, you know, my decades in trying to wake people up to what's going on before it happened and stop it, I was like, okay, it's too late. So now let me focus my attention on education because, you know, let's just safeguard the youth from this ever happening again. How did you get from finance to scorched earth, truth telling, worldview destroying? <laughs> well, I got I got there the way a lot of people get there by being the sucker at the three card Monty table and going, oh, how come I can't figure out this game? I was living in Las Vegas in 2007. I was selling real estate. I was working for a big builder there. So I was selling new homes and it was booming. And I was drinking the Kool-Aid as much as anybody else. I figured, you know, these price, you know, the home prices are going up here in Las Vegas, but, but, you know, it's always been undervalued and everyone's coming from California. I had just come from California, you know, several years earlier. And so I was thinking, well, you know, there's still a lot of room for appreciation. And what I didn't understand was I didn't understand the scam. I didn't understand central banks. I didn't understand... I didn't really understand the mortgage industry. Now, you would think I would being in the business and you would be wrong because I didn't really know it to I didn't know it to the extent that um, that I probably should have. And I, I read a book in March of 2007 by John Perkins called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And he and in that book woke me up to a variety of things, but one of them was the the use of debt as a weapon, essentially. Now, in his book, he's talking about the IMF and World Bank loaning that loaning money to to countries to build hydroelectric power plants and things like that. But a parallel in my mind was happening where the the mortgage company that was kind of partnered with our uh, which was a subsidiary of of the company I worked for was giving loans to people that really shouldn't have been getting loans like they shouldn't have been approved i remember a specific account a guy i was selling a $405,000 house to and he made $10 an hour he put that on it you know pick as a as a landscaper and he put that on his application and I'm looking at this going, mm, I don't know about this. And, and I, we faxed it uh, over to the, to the mortgage company about 30 minutes later, I get a call going, yeah, he's good. I was like, this guy's going to lose this house. This guy is never, you know, he's maybe he can afford it now. 
he's on an adjustable rate, but that, that rate's going to bump up. And then now his payments are going to double or whatever. And, and, and I started to have this epiphany that like what John Perkins was talking about, you know, creating money out of thin air, like the IMF and world bank do debt-based currency, loaning it to a country like Ecuador, building an electric power plant that starts generating revenue and generating electricity, but just not enough revenue to pay the bill that, that each month and you fall behind on it. And then they, and then the, the world bank and IMF and John Perkins go to them and say, look, I mean, you owe my people a lot of money. And, uh, but, but I think we can work something out, right? Because any good loan shark has an option. And so the option is, uh, you know, maybe you, you just, uh, privatize your, fishing industry or your lumber industry and sell it to my buddies at Goldman Sachs, or you you vote our way in a UN resolution, or you put a, a US military ba base in your country that you don't want to do, but you have no choice but to do. So I found that like they were loaning fake money into existence and then taking back either favors or tangible assets. And, and I realized that I was kind of part of that. And I had it had never occurred to me. And so I when I lost my two houses, when when the market turned and I lost my job and, and everything kind of fell apart, I realized that I needed an education on money, on on what it really meant, what it really was, not just um, you know dollar what it, you know like dollars are in my pocket, but what is the Federal Reserve? Does it is it federal? Does it have reserves? What's the role of a central bank? How does Wall Street actually work? And so it sent me down this path where I had to kind of unlearn everything I thought I knew about finance and learn the real ins and outs of it. And so I wound up coming across guys like Mike Maloney talking about the the, the role of money and and talking, you know, and then hearing about the stories of governments uh, conspiring with the banks and and the creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin, which is crazy because you know you you read that book and then I wound up you know, getting on a flight with him to an Arcapulco and, and, and talking, he's man, poor guy talked his ear off, but you know, when do you have Ed Griffin next to you for an extended period of time? It's like, sorry, buddy, you're going to have to ask, answer all my questions right now. And he couldn't have been nicer, you know, but, but, but I, I had to kind of learn about money and, and you, and, and back to education. We're not taught that. Right, we we don't know anything about like they they tell us just the bare minimum that we need to know in order to 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 sort of function. But like when you, when you get to college, you you know over by Tommy Trojan, they set up those folding tables and there's hey, would you like to apply for? You've been pre-approved for a credit card. You're like oh great, I'm going to get a credit card. You know, and you you walk into this debt trap when you're 18 years old and you don't know any better and you think oh well why didn't somebody teach me this? Well because it's a gigantic scam and the people that would teach you this that would be in a position to make education about this mandatory are financed into these positions in government by the credit card companies like Joe Biden has been for the last four decades. So like, if you think you're going to get some sort of explanation about how credit cards work from the Biden administration, who made his money in, or, you know, for 40 years, took took money from the De the credit card companies that are all based in Delaware to, to, to make sure that nobody understands what's going on with a credit card and why the interest rates are so high. Like you'll be waiting around forever. So I, I, first I had to get burned before I went scorched earth. Then I had to get educated and I had to get mad, you know, and I had to say, all right, I'm never playing this three card money game again. I'm not doing it. 
And, but walk around the other side of the table and say, all right, man, show me how this scam works. I want to just, I want to understand it because I'm not playing it. I'm not going to be one of your customers anymore. Don't worry about that. But let me just understand where the ball is when you're, you know what I mean? So, so whether it's the actual game or whether it's the money managing game or whether it's the game of that, the media plays with sources familiar with the president's thinking said, blah, blah, blah. And you go, what, what does that mean? That means right. nothing. <laughs> you know, so I had to, I had to unlearn a ton of history. I had to unlearn what very little I knew about finance. And then I had to relearn the, the, the truth about it. And that's a process. And I think that that, I think Danny, that's part of the, the process that keeps a lot of people from, from going down this path and getting educated. It's like, oh, I already learned this in school or I'm not good at math or oh, oh money's boring. You know, I don't, don't want to learn about banking. That's boring. I get it. But like, you'll find yourself walking into these traps if you don't understand it. So, so for me, the process of, of getting, of, of getting to a point where I'm ready to go scorched earth was that I just, I just had to be, I just had to be the sucker a couple of times until I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. And then once I made that decision, then, then I got serious about things. Then I started writing, you know, once I understood kind of where I was going, I started the book writing process in 2016. Book, first book came out, The Octopus of Global Control in August of 2017. The book with Jeff Berwick came out in October. October, last week of October of 2020. And the third book, Hypocrisy, came out in the fall of 2021. So I, you know, I I I had to go through it. I had to uh, I had to 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 you know feel the pain quite a bit in order to so I'm I'm certainly not coming to people from a oh let me tell you what to do. I'm so smart. It's more like let me tell you what to do because I was such a dummy that I did it all the wrong way. And maybe I can save you some time and effort and maybe you won't do the same things that I did. Like bring up nine 11 at Thanksgiving dinner table. <clears throat> Don't do that. <laughs> you learned that the hard way. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. See, this is probably, you know, I can see now I could benefit everyone else out there. Don't bring it up at Thanksgiving. Just the, the, maybe the, the, another time. Just don't see you. You're welcome. I really like your your inclusive perspective where you're included, because I think a lot of times that's what's off putting about some truthers or, you know, because it's super confronting. And I found it's just more valuable. And I'm like, hey, I was suckered, too. Like, I, I grew oh, yeah. up in this system like I don't you know, I learned all this the hard way. We've all been snowed. It's not like you've been snowed. And I feel like that little differentiation can help make people a little bit more open yeah. to this kind of information. Yeah. And also I've found, um, again, from doing it the wrong way, I've found that like, if, if you've got something that you want to talk to, let's say there's a, let's say that you, you really do want to talk to your family members about nine 11 and it's Thanksgiving and they're all there. Don't do it at the Thanksgiving dinner table. That should go without saying, but also if you have, a, if you want to have that conversation with somebody close to you, don't be a fire hose of information, just sitting them down and saying, now, listen, I'm going to tell you what happened and make it a monologue. Do whatever you can to make it a, a dialogue. And, and the best way to do that, and, and, and I think an important 
step is to kind of gauge their level of interest and maybe level of knowledge. And it doesn't have to be 9-11, just insert whatever, whatever unusual topic you want. But it helps if you start by asking them a question. Hey, man, what do you make of this? I mean, this thing happened and it seems kind of weird. Like, I mean, don't you find it kind of unusual that they were able to knock down three buildings with two planes? Like, I don't, I'm not sure how the physics works on that. What do you think? And 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 their answer may be more than likely will be, what are you talking about? I didn't know there were three buildings. You know what I mean? So so you are automatically start. It's it's not confrontational. It's not a lecture. It's not a berate, beratement. It's not it's not any of those things. It's a conversation, and and you may find that the answer to that question gives you an indication they're not ready to talk about it. They're not interested in it. And that's fine. That That's totally fine. They may never be interested. They may be interested two years from now. Something may happen. Maybe a virus sweeps the, the world and, and you get really un, inconsistent messaging and you get a lot of people being silenced and all this stuff. And maybe then they come to you and ask you about that situation. And then you get into it and then you, and you mentioned during the, you know, it's, Kind of like what they did with 9-11 when they censored information and, and, and the media took control of everything. And so you you in order to talk to people, in order to wake people up, I now understand. I'm not a particularly religious person, but I now understand the people that find God or whatever, find their religion. Let's just use Christianity as an, as an example, because a lot of people that get into that, they, 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 they find, let's just say they find Jesus and then they get very enthusiastic about it. And that's fine. That's that, you know, whatever, whatever you're into good. As long as you're not hurting someone else, it's, it's none of my business, but, but that enthusiasm level that they get for like, I want to tell you all about this thing that's new in my life that has changed my perspective on the world and makes me feel different and feel better. And I want to share it with you, religion. That's the same kind of feeling sometimes we get when it comes to like these conspiracies that we've uncovered. And it's like, oh my goodness, if only the world knew about this, then all these things would be different. So you go into it with this energy and this enthusiasm that not everybody shares. And, and, and that is much like in the same way, if you're just sitting there and some guy wants to, you know, knocks on your door and is like, I'd like to talk to you about our Lord and savior. You're like, I'm good. I'm busy. You know what I mean? Like you, maybe you do have the conversation, but maybe you don't. So the same goes with us and with our wacky things that we, that we believe, right? Not everybody is ready for it. And not everybody wants to have the conversation right this minute. So we've got to be mindful of that. And we've got to also recognize that there's going to be some people you'll never reach. You're just, you just, um, I've got a, I'm, I'm working on another book and I'm starting it with this, uh, Leonardo da Vinci quote. It says, uh, there are three types of people. Those who see, those who see when shown, those who do not see. And some people are in that third category. They're just, they're just, for whatever reason, they're not going to see. And that's okay. But you can't pester them. And you've got to prioritize your time. And you've got to really get dialed in in terms of how much of your emotional energy you're willing to sort of put towards waking up somebody who's not ready for that. Um, 
there's a quote in my octopus book, a Navajo proverb. It says, you cannot wake a person who is pretending to be asleep. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people out there pretending to be asleep. So, so again, this process that we come to, uh, where you have this kind of awakening and it kind of happens in stages where like maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's banking. Like, you know, maybe it's, to me, it was the Iraq war, the, 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 the 2003 Iraq war. Not the, the first one happened when I was a freshman in college and I saw that and I thought, whoa, this is crazy. But the second one happened, it was like, well, you know, 9-11 and so Saddam Hussein. And I was like, no, 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 no. So, so whatever it is that wakes you up, it starts you down this path um, towards thinking differently or seeing the big, the bigger picture or understanding that, that, the, that the media is compromised, whatever it is that, that gets you into that. Congratulations and welcome to the party. And everybody kind of gets here at their own pace and their own uh, with, for their own reasons. And, and you kind of evolve at a, at a certain, you know, some, some pick it up quick. Some people, um, some people hide from it. You know, some people just go, man, you know, like, what do you want me to do? Oh, fine. The Federal Reserve is a private central bank. So now what? What do I not go to work? I mean, I still have to pay my bills or anything. You know, so I understand. Like, there's a there's a component of this that I, I I certainly understand where people are like, I'm just, what am I gonna do? I'm not ready for this. And 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 again, also like, oh, I have to reimagine my entire life now because of this information. No, thank you. Like, I'm full. I'm busy. I've got I've got stuff. Too much other stuff going on. So. So it's been for me. It's been a it's been a trip. It's been a trip to go down and 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 to watch myself go through it. To watch people around me either either connect with some of the things that I'm talking about and go, oh wow, man, that's crazy. I've never, or never talk to me again. There's always that too. I mean, have you had that situation? Do you have people in your life that are just like <laughs> you just you just don't hear from them anymore? Of course. I was the lead writer on Plandemic too. So after I wrote that, it was like, okay, 90% of my LA community gone. All my journalist friends gone. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. And and I look, I understand why they think the way they think. I don't respect it, but I certainly do understand it. And sometimes they may, you know, people make calculations for Businesses, business reasons, family, personal. I don't want to have, you know, I just, I just, I took the shot because I wanted to be able to travel. Did you travel? Well, no, but then what did you do? What do you do? What do you do? I, I got to tell you this story because this was a, this was a frustrating one for me, but it, but it, but I think it's important because, you know, I'm this writer guy who has podcasts and, 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 and all this stuff. And so I, you know, I've over the years kind of put in quite a bit of work and the, um, the pandemic kind of kicks off, right? It's the summer of 2020 and all my LA friends were, um, they had found this, uh, this program that was like an online video poker program that you could have, but it, w but it wasn't just playing video poker against each other. There was almost like a Skype component to it too. So it would activate your, your camera and microphone and so you'd you'd see the poker table, but you'd also see your friends' faces in the corners and you could have a conversation. So it was like a group Skype chat, but while we were playing online poker. And it would be a three-hour segment and we would do it like every two weeks. And during this time, it was right when 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 COVID was like a big, big thing. 
but the the shots hadn't rolled out yet. And I remember saying to everybody on the on the on the call, these are my best friends. These are guys that I have known for 40 years and um, guys that I grew up with and they're really smart and, and, and I love them very much and I want them to be healthy. And I said to them, listen, guys, I'm not going to turn this into some like ranting and raving because we're here to play poker and just catch up on, on nonsense. But um, there is going to be a time pretty soon in the next year in which they are going to rush to market a vaccine for this event, for, for this thing. And they're going to tell you it's great and they're going to tell you it's safe and they're going to tell you it protects you and they're going to tell you that you're crazy to not take it and they're going to make anybody that says anything bad about it uh, uh, made to, to look foolish. But I'm telling you right now, promise me this, before you guys go, if you're feeling like when this happens, if they're telling you you've got to get it, before you go and get it, just do me one favor. Just Text me or call me and let me talk to you for 10 minutes. Just that's all I ask. At that, after that point, do whatever you want to do, but just please let me tell you because I know things that you don't know about this because I know the pharmaceutical industry. I just wrote a book about them. So, so I please just promise me that you'll do that. Didn't get a single phone call, not a single one. They all took the shots. Multiple Are they still shots. friends with you? They're still friends with me, but we don't talk about that. Right. You know what I mean? I, 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 I realized that that is, uh, you know, that, that, that was to me, you know, to me, it was like, God, you know, like, who do I think I am doing a show about you should do this, this and that. And I can't even get my best friends to listen to me. You know what I mean? Like I felt very ineffective and very, you know, I felt very guilty. I, I even, you know, I mean, I tried, I felt very guilty and, and, and I don't want to bring it you know, and I'm not trying to turn it into a fight. So I just don't mention it to them anymore, but it's like, you know, when the first one of my friends drops dead from a, from a heart attack that now, then what I'm certainly not going to be I told you so, you know, I don't want this to happen. I don't want any of this to happen to, to, to my friends, your friends, anybody, people I don't strange. I don't want it to happen to anybody. I want none. I don't want anybody to be harmed or damaged or killed by these dangerous, dangerous shots, but it's out of control now. And, and I, and I, it was, maybe I needed to go through that. Maybe I needed to have that experience where like the people closest to me, the people that know my good sides and my bad sides and everything in between, like they just wouldn't even pick up the phone to to allow me to tell them some really important information and and that to me was was very telling so you know it goes back to this waking up people and prioritizing your energy and asking questions and probing and everything and and at you know at some point you have to go that person does not want to be reached and I'm going to leave them alone and because it's not my obligation to do that to them and they're going to have to to figure it out but boy i really i really just want to try and give people a, another side to the story that they're not getting on their nightly news and then and then at that point that's all i was saying to to my friends was i wasn't saying i'm going to go down and kidnap you so that you can't get the shots it was just let me tell you a different side of the of the story it would only take a couple of minutes and, and and but that wasn't enough because i think subconsciously 
they didn't want to know another side to the story because to know another side of the story means that um that their their paradigm where television tells them what's happening the pharmaceutical industry is there to make them healthy you know that that world collapses when you have to come to this realization so um lessons to be learned for for everybody especially especially me in this one and i'm sure you probably have i'm sure you probably have similar stories and given your your line of work and writing that film that's you know that's going to put you in direct con contrast to a whole lot of your normie friends i bet for <laughs> clicking that subscribe button, for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rocking day. See you next time, superstars.